Welcome to this introduction to apologetics. Now, my goal in this first session is to explain what apologetics is and what it is not, uh, to talk about who apologetics is for, and to give you a sense of the foundation in Scripture for the practice of apologetics. Let's start with the definition. What is apologetics? It sounds like our word apology, when we're saying we're sorry for something, but it actually comes from a Greek word, apologia, that means defense. So if we could define apologetics simply this way, apologetics is the defense of the faith. Uh, apologetics is the defense of the faith. It's defending, explaining, seeking to persuade others about the Christian faith, about what it is that Christians believe. And that word, apologia, shows up several times in the New Testament. Um, and one of the places it shows up is in Philippians 1.7, where Paul talks about his imprisonment and his defense and confirmation of the gospel. Or later in Philippians 1.16, when he says, um, I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. So Paul had an apologetic function, an apologetic ministry, we could say, because one of the things he was doing was seeking to defend the faith. But our key text for thinking about apologetics, if you wanted to nail down just one verse that sums up what apologetics is about, I think that verse would have to be 1 Peter 3.15. And 1 Peter 3.15 uh, is written to a, a group of believers who are experiencing uh, suffering, hardship, persecution. And one of the things Peter tells them is this. He says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. So there's that word, apologia to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So what are we talking about here? What is Peter talking about? He's talking about giving a defense, being prepared, being ready, being equipped, we could say, to make a defense of what? Of the hope that we have, what it is that we are uh, putting our hope in, why we have that hope, you know, what we believe and why we believe it. Uh, he speaks of um, them asking you for a reason for the hope that you have. Give, being able to give an explanation, um, a reasoned explanation for why you believe what you believe. That's what Peter is talking about. And who are we supposed to give this to? Well, Peter says, to anybody who asks you. <clears throat> now, most likely this is going to be a non-Christian, right, an unbeliever. Who's saying, I don't understand. Why are you acting this way? Why are you living this way? Why are you uh, responding to this trial or this difficulty this way? How do you, where does this hope that you have come from? Why are you so persuaded? Why do you believe this? Um, whoever asks you a question like that, Peter says, you need to be ready to give them an answer, to make a defense, to, to give your reasons for what you believe. But notice what he says about how we should do this. He says at the end of the verse, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Right? So we are to do this in a way that is Christ-like, that is uh, gentle, that is kind, that is gracious, that is loving, that is respectful. Uh, it's not the kind of thing where we are are trying to, uh, you know, just 
win an argument or something like that where we're trying to make um, somebody look foolish or anything along those lines. We're, we're to be respectful and we are to be gentle in the way that we do this. So one of the things that Peter is communicating here is that truth is important, yes, but so is Christ-like character. We should not divorce the two, right? That we should give a defense, we should give a reason, we should explain what we believe, what, what is true, and yet we should do it in a way that is Christ-like, in a way that is gentle and respectful. All right, so that's what apologetics is. It's a defense of the faith, and we'll talk more about what we mean by that in a little bit. But before we move on to that, let's talk about who and what apologetics is for. Uh, we normally think about apologetics, if you have uh, some idea of what apologetics is and, and what it's about, you, you might often think about it in terms of something that's mainly for non-believers, right, for non-Christians. Uh, it's something that Christians use to try to persuade non-Christians, and certainly that's part of it, but apologetics is also for Christians. If what we're doing is giving a defense of the faith, we're, we're giving reasoned answers to people's questions, we have to admit that Christians have questions sometimes too. Christians have doubts sometimes too. And so apologetics is for Christians as well um, it, it, in two ways, right? One, it can give assurance to Christians about what they believe, right? So it can help us understand not only what we believe, but why we believe it. Uh, when, when we face tough questions, even things that come up in our own minds and hearts, things we encounter in conversations with others or just, you know, out in the culture or whatever uh, that may concern us, disturb us, unsettle us, um, apologetics can help give us assurance, can help us to recognize that there are answers to those hard questions and that there are good reasons for what we believe, even if there are some who uh, would argue otherwise, right, that there are uh, good responses to those hard questions that are out there. Uh, and then second, it equips Christians to answer others who are asking these questions. So part of what apologetics is doing is helping us do what Peter said we should do, that it's helping prepare us to give a defense to anyone who asks us for the hope that we have, right? So it, it's equipping us, it's preparing us, it's making us able to answer hard questions. Uh, it's not just being able to say, uh, well, this is what I believe, but also being able to explain why we believe it and why other people should believe it as well. But of course, apologetics is also for non-Christians, here again in a couple of ways. One of the things that apologetics aims to do for non-Christians is to remove obstacles to faith. So an unbeliever may have some ideas, some arguments, some thoughts in their mind um, that make them think, because of these things, I could never believe in God. I could never believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I could never believe in the virgin birth. Part of what apologetics is doing is helping remove those obstacles and show people, actually, there are good reasons for believing those things. You might think you have reasons that would keep you from believing those things, but I would like to show you that these beliefs are actually reasonable. They're actually arguments in their favor. Uh, so apologetics aims to remove obstacles to faith. 
and this kind of goes along with it, to show that faith is not without reason. A lot of times people think of faith as sort of a blind leap in the dark. You just believe it. In the absence of evidence, maybe even despite evidence to the contrary, you just decide you're going to believe it. Well, that's not the way biblical faith works. Uh, biblical faith is not opposed to reason. In fact, what we see in the Bible all over the place is that God gives us reasons to believe. Um, people like Paul use reason and persuasion to try to lead people to faith. Uh, and so part of what apologetics is doing is trying to show people that what Christians believe is reasonable. It's, it's not irrational, but it is, in fact, reasonable. So apologetics is not aiming mainly to um, convert people, although that's our ultimate hope, right? We would want somebody who's not a believer to come to faith in Christ. Apologetics is more about uh, laying the groundwork for that conversion, clearing the ground, removing the obstacles, helping people understand what faith is, uh, helping people see the reasons uh, for what Christians believe, and things like that. So um, that's what we—that's what—that's who apologetics is for. And so part of what I'm thinking in, in this. Um, in this session, right, is, is not necessarily about equipping someone to, um, you know, sit across the table from an atheist and, and convince them that there is a God. I mean, that, you know, would be great, um, but that's not primarily what I'm thinking about. I'm primarily thinking about, um, you know, maybe maybe a, a, a child in your family, a kid, a grandkid, um, asking you hard questions about, do you ever have doubts about God? being real? Or do you ever have doubts about, do you ever wonder, you know, if Jesus really rose from the dead? What, how do we, how do we think about those things? How do we respond to those questions? Apologetics helps us do that in a way that's um, gentle, right? In a way that's encouraging, that's helpful, that aims to build faith um, while still like recognizing um, that the questions are, are real and legitimate and then providing uh, good answers for them. Uh, that's that's part of what we need apologetics for, or for the friend you have at work or wherever who uh, is not a Christian, has no background in the Bible, doesn't understand why you would believe this, um, who's going to ask you hard questions also. Um, you really believe that somebody rose from the dead and you worship him? Why? Why do you believe that? How do you answer that question? That's part of what apologetics is for. Uh, or someone who's saying, well, I thought, you know, because of science, because of what we know about the universe, it's pretty clear that there's not a God, right? Somebody asks you that kind of question. How do you respond? Apologetics equips you to respond to things like that. So apologetics is a defense, we said, of the faith. And it's helpful for Christians. It's helpful for non-Christians. Well, what is it we are defending when we say, Apologetics is the defense of the faith. What is the faith? Well, the faith is what Jude talks about in Jude 3 when he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So what is the faith there? What, one more passage, Ephesians 4. Paul's talking about the unity uh, that believers have, the unity of the body of Christ. He says there is one body, one spirit, 
just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Uh, so there also he talks about there being one faith. So what is this one faith? What is the faith? All right, so first of all, the faith is different than faith. So we're not talking about believing here, although that's you know clearly something we talk about a lot in the Bible. But here when he's talking about the faith or the one faith, it's not the act of believing, but it's what we believe, the object of our belief, the object of our faith, the 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 truths, the doctrines, the realities that we believe. That's the faith. The faith also is not the same as the whole Bible, right? We're not talking about trying to defend what every, you know, our interpretation of every single verse, every controversial, you know, doctrine or whatever. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about defending a particular body of beliefs that are central and essential in Scripture. Things we see in places like 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, right? That this is what Paul delivered as of first importance to the Corinthians. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's Those are essentials, right? So we're not talking about defending everything in the Bible or our interpretation of everything in the Bible. We're talking about defending the essentials of the Christian faith, the things that you need to believe in order to be a Christian, right? Those are the things that we're talking about. Those other things uh, can be appropriate, uh, obviously, to talk about, discuss, um, even argue about in a in a in a uh, you know friendly and Christ-like way. Um, but that's not the aim of apologetics. Um, the faith, also, Jude tells us, is something that does not change. It is the faith once for all delivered to the saints. There are no more deliveries coming, right? It's been delivered. We have received it. It's not changing. We don't make it up. We don't adjust it. It's something that we have been given and that we believe that we are to contend for. Um, and so we contend for this, right? We have to stand for this truth, right? We have to um, stand firm on it. In fact, that's what Paul says in a similar passage in Philippians 1.27. Um, he says what he wants to hear about the church in Philippi is, uh, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Right? That's the same kind of idea, that we're unified and we're striving together for this faith right, of the gospel. What we believe about God sending his son for our salvation, uh, Christ's return, uh, salvation by grace through faith, all those kinds of things. Those essential elements of the Christian faith, that's what we are defending that's what we are to contend for. So when we're practicing apologetics, what we are doing is, is we are seeking to persuade people uh, to trust Christ, right? To become Christians, to believe, to accept the Christian faith. We're not trying to persuade them uh, of our denomination or our particular interpretation about some debated part of the Bible. Again, those things can have their place, but that's not apologetics. Apologetics is about the essentials of the Christian faith, right? About what it is that all Christians agree on, that all Christians believe, and helping people to understand why we believe those things. And ultimately, 
we hope, to come to believe them themselves. Or if they do believe them, but also struggle with doubt, right? Like the, the man who said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief, uh, to help assure them right, and build up their faith. That's what we're, that's what we're aiming for. So uh, before we wrap this session up, I want to give you one biblical example of apologetics. And it comes from Paul's sermon in Acts chapter 17 at the Areopagus or the Mars Hill. Now, we're not going to look at the whole thing, uh, but I just want to kind of dip our toes into this a little bit and notice a couple of things about how apologetics works when Paul does it in Athens. Right. So this is one of the longest, clearest, fullest, most helpful apologetic um, examples that we have anywhere in Scripture. And what happens is Paul comes to Athens which, of course, is a Greek city of great prominence. And uh, the scripture says, this is starting in verse 16 of Acts 17, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So Paul is a Jew. He's looking out on the city with all of these idols in it, and that bothers him. That troubles him. So what does he do? Verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So what does Paul do when he's provoked by this idolatry he sees all around him? He seeks to persuade. He seeks to reason. He's talking to Jews and God-fearing Gentiles who are in the synagogue, and he's talking to people in the marketplace, whoever he might encounter. Verse 18 says some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. So Paul's talking to uh, philosophers, Greek philosophers who are there in Athens as well, and he's seeking to persuade them about the truth, right? And so uh, eventually he gets invited to speak uh, on Mars Hill, right, the Areopagus. And so verse 22 says, so Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So a couple of things to notice about what Paul is doing here. First, he is getting to know the people that he's talking to. He's talking to them in the marketplaces. He's reasoning in the synagogues. He's engaging with philosophers. Right? He's, he knows his audience. He's, he knows who he's talking to. And he's willing to talk to anybody. Right. So um, that's important. Right. To, he, he becomes aware of of their um, their beliefs to a certain extent. Now, he would have already been aware of quite a bit of it. But, but right. He's he's taken notice of the altars, the idols in their town. He noticed one in particular and he he communicates to them that he's been paying attention to them. Right. And and he's done the same thing by talking to people in the marketplace. They know that he's willing to engage them, right, and talk with them. So that's where he starts. And then when he gets up to speak in front of them, he doesn't start with a rebuke, right, of saying, you know, how terrible it is that they're worshiping all these idols. Instead, he seeks to build a bridge. He seeks to, you know, establish a connection with them by acknowledging that they're very religious people. Right. So he doesn't come out with a rebuke. It's sort of a compliment in a way. Right. Uh, I noticed that you're very religious. I, I'm paying attention to what's going on in your town and to what matters to you. But then he says, 
I notice that there's uh, an altar to a God that you don't know, right? And and I do know him, and I, and I want to tell you about him. So he, he seeks to establish that connection and build that bridge uh, so that he can then reason with them about who God is and how they should think about this God and what this God must be like. So next time we'll really we'll dig into what Paul actually says to them about how to think about God, how they should think about God, and what this unknown God that they worship is really like, uh, as well as hopefully talk about uh, what Scripture says about people knowing God. Do people already know God? If so, why don't they worship Him rightly? Uh, what does Scripture say about that? We'll hopefully be looking at that as well next time. God bless.